Welcome to the Highly Spirited Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McNew. I love cocktails and I love the macabre. So every week I'm bringing you a cocktail recipe in history and some ghost stories. So let's get ready to get lit and get scared. Hey everybody, I just wanted to jump on and say this week's episode is a repeat episode. It originally aired last June and it is Haunted Key West. I am in Key West this week, so I did not you know, want to put together another episode, so I thought it would be fun to replay this one. And maybe I'll be back with some new Key West ghost stories. But until then, enjoy this one and cheers everybody. Hey, welcome back. It is episode five. We're going to get into the death in the afternoon cocktail along with some spooky Key West things today. Very excited for those. But before we get into that, I just had to share that this week I learned drag queen funerals exist. And I'm not talking about a dearly departed drag queen. You could have a drag queen do your funeral. I love it. Along with alcohol and spooky things, drag queens are pretty high up there on my list of things that I just absolutely adore for no damn reason. I love a drag queen. And I know this isn't for everyone, but drag queen Sandy Bottom from Sydney, Australia launched drag queen funerals as a way to send off the dearly departed in a celebratory way. And I'm here for it. Not all funerals need to be sad and depressing. Of course, we're still going to be sad about losing someone. But why have a drab, boring funeral when you can have a drag funeral? And I love it. And she's actually a whole licensed mortician, funeral person, funeral director, whatever you call them in her country. Drag queen funerals, they offer everything. Like you can have someone embalmed to be buried or you can have them cremated. You can do it all like a normal, normal process, except you'll have drag queens there. And you can even pre-plan your own funeral with them. And guys, this is what I want. This is what I want when it is my time to go send my body to Australia. Let me have a drag queen funeral. (laughs) And it's how I want my life celebrated. It sounds like a damn blast. Like some cultures have funeral clowns. So I guess this isn't all that weird to have a drag queen. So this is absolutely not an ad unless they want to be a sponsor. Drag queen funerals. Baby, let's talk. Anyways, (laughs) I just wanted to share that because I learned that and I think it sounds so fun. Like they're singing, they're dancing all while like entertaining people that should be crying, but they're making them laugh. They're making them let you go in an easier way. I love it. I want a drag queen funeral. Just wanted to share that. Let's go get a cocktail. Today's cocktail is the death in the afternoon and it was created by none other than Ernest Hemingway. Dude loved to drink. He loved daiquiris. He had a daiquiri. He had his own variation of a daiquiri called the Hemingway daiquiri that I will get into on a different episode, I believe. And this man, he honestly just loved to drink. And I can't fault him for that because I also just love a drink. (laughs) So he did invent the Death in the Afternoon, and it shares its name with his 1932 novel, Death in the Afternoon. (laughs) This cocktail contains absinthe, and it's way more pleasant than it sounds. It's incredibly simple. It's just absinthe and chilled champagne. It's delightful, actually. And he wrote instructions for this. Hemingway's instructions were also very incredibly simple. They were, pour one jigger absinthe into a champagne glass. Add ice champagne until it attains the proper opalescent milkiness. Drink three to five of these slowly. Do you know how fast you're going to be like knocked on your ass if you drink three to five of those? Like he did say slowly, but 
champagne's one of those things that like sneaks up on me. Like it's gonna, I'm gonna think I'm fine and then I am very much not. <laughs> this recipe was first published in a 1935 cocktail book called So Red the Nose, which contained recipes from famous authors. And I love how the liter literary kind just appreciate a good drink. Like so many authors are boozy people and I like it. It's wonderful. <laughs> Hemingway apparently got his inspiration for this concoction while he was spending time in Paris, where he enjoyed absinthe and champagne on a regular basis, but came up with this idea when a fishing boat got stuck on a bank and he was stranded for seven hours with the captain and crew. You know what? What better to do when you're stranded? Just have, have yourself a drink, invent a new one. That doesn't... It doesn't sound good in the sun, though. Like, if I were stuck on a boat, I don't think absinthe and champagne would be my choice. But you know what? If that's all you have, go for it. To note that if you can't find absinthe in your area, it is legal. Again, you can buy absolutely buy absinthe in the States. You can substitute it with absinthe, which is A-B-S-E-N-T-E, which has the same flavors. Also, today's absinthe is quite different from the 1920s, 1930s. Parisian absinthe that Hemingway would have used. He had like that green berry kind, the kind that made like people hallucinate. It doesn't do that anymore. And it is quite legal and way more safe these days. So get yourself a death in the afternoon. I think they are absolutely delightful. But from here, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with some key West Coast stories, including Robert the doll, who is now housed there. Welcome back. And now let's get into some Key West haunts. And who doesn't love Key West? If you've been there, like it just, oh, it just grabs a piece of your soul. It's one of the most free spirited places I've ever been. It's gorgeous. It's warm. Even in the dead of winter, you just don't want to go home and I can't wait to go back. But besides it's living people's free spirited attitude and their ever flowing rum spirits available everywhere on the island, Key West is home to some actual spirits as well. First up is the Audubon House, located at 205 Whitehead Street. It was named for artist James Audubon, who painted the Birds of the Americas, but he actually never resided in this house. The home was built in the late 1840s by Captain John H. Geiger, who made his fortune in Key West by salvaging treasures and monies from shipwrecks. It's a cool job. His home, This home is stately and absolutely gorgeous. It's three stories with a balcony across the second floor. The property is filled with gorgeous gardens as well, where it's rumored Captain Geiger buried some of his pirate treasure. It's also rumored that the ghost of the captain can still be seen in a second story window looking after his house and treasure. After the captain passed, the home was passed down through many generations of the Geiger family. Lastly was relative William Bradford Smith, who was extremely reclusive. So much so that he never left the house and would have goods delivered to him via lowering baskets from the balcony and pulling them back up. Like, dude was on some DoorDash stuff and Instacart before that even existed. You know what? Bring it to my house. I like his style. But he really just never wanted to leave. His spirit is still there, apparently still reclusive, and has also not left the house. Guests and paranormal investigators alike have also reported hearing laughter of children, other talking voices, and spotting other family members. Perhaps the most creepy item in the house was a painting of Hannah, the daughter of Captain Geiger. The painting was said to just radiate sadness and make guests feel intense emotions. So much so that the house staff, now museum staff, removed the painting from its prominent spot and stored it in a less public space. Hannah was just being a bummer. They had to move her. <laughs> Next up is Marrero's Guest Mansion, located at 410 Fleming Street. 
This once stately Victorian home is now ran as a boutique hotel, and honestly, it does look super fun. They have a pool and offer a daily happy hour at 3.30 to guests on the porch. Before it became a modern boutique hotel, the Marrero Mansion was home to cigar maker Francisco Marrero and his lovely wife, Enriqueta. Francisco was incredibly successful and in 1889 built this gorgeous home with a spacious porch and balcony where Enriqueta thought they would live happily ever after in paradise with their eight children. Yes, eight children. <laughs> when he wasn't making cigars, he was apparently very busy making babies. <laughs> but happily ever after was not in the cards for this couple. Francisco died and apparently had a first wife that he never properly divorced. <laughs> So she shows up on this gorgeous front porch soon after his death, staking her claim to the property. Poor Enriqueta was evicted along with her children. It's terrible. She lost who she thought was her husband. She has all these kids. Now she's poor. Now she finds out she's actually kind of a mistress. Like, it's just not a good time for Enriqueta. <laughs> so she was evicted, and this did cause quite a scene. A crowd formed outside when these two women were just having at it, and Enriqueta stated to the crowd outside that she would always be there in spirit. Now that the home is a hotel, guests in room 18 seem to run into Enriqueta the most. There have been sightings, items such as hairbrushes moved, some have reported her sitting on the end of their bed, and she seems to be a docile spirit, just checking in with the guests and looking over her former home. But it's also been reported that if she doesn't like the guests in room 18, that she will rattle and shake the chandelier. <laughs> it's petty and I like it. When Enriqueta is around, scents of lavender have also been reported. Rooms 17 and 13 are notorious for the sounds of crying babies, which would make sense since there were formerly eight of them there. <laughs> Fort Zachary Taylor is up next, named for former President Zachary Taylor, who only served 16 months in office before his untimely death on July 9, 1850. The fort consisted of 50-foot walls made of limestone and granite and had space to house 800 men. No war battles were ever fought at this fort, but plenty fought for their lives during a yellow fever outbreak. The fort did see some action during the Civil War and the Spanish-American War as an outpost, but now it's just used as a state park. Park rangers have reported spooky noises, voices, and visions on the site such as soldiers lining up on moon, moonlit nights, the sound of gunshots and whistling, moans emanating from the old hospital corridor, as well as a smelling a very foul smell from the barracks area. Some have spotted bloated corpses near the shore, only for them to disappear when approached. And many others have reported feeling cold spots in various locations of the fort. Last, but certainly not least, on my list of Key West haunts today is the Four East Martello Museum, also known as the current home to Robert the Doll. This fort was built by the Union Army during the Civil War, then later abandoned. The Key West Art and Historical Society turned it into the museum in 1950. The museum includes Civil War relics, shipwrecks, pieces from cigar manufacturing, sculptures, and other local art, and what we're here for, an exhibition in Key West Ghosts, including Robert the Doll. Robert the Doll appears to be an innocent child's toy, a mid-sized cloth doll dressed in a handsome sailor suit, holding a stuffed toy dog of his own. He does have little black beady eyes, though, and some wear and tear holes in his face, but other than that, he appears to be fairly harmless. But don't be fooled. Robert the Doll belonged to Robert Eugene Otto, who went by Jean, 
and was the son of a wealthy Key West family. The sailor suit Robert wears was actually a childhood outfit that originally belonged to Jean. The doll was a birthday gift from his grandfather brought home from a trip to Germany. And that's one origin story of Robert the doll, and I'll get to the second one here in a little bit, because it gets, I don't know, it gets a little murky. Some people say, oh, it was a gift from his grandfather. It's from Germany. Another one say it might be cursed. I'll get to that. (laughs) Robert was beloved by Jean for his entire lifetime, even though the doll had caused him many mishaps. Robert the doll was often seen to move on his own, run up and down the stairs, looking out of an upstairs window, and reply in his own voice. When something mischievous happened during Jean's childhood, he often reported back to his parents that Robert did it. After marrying his wife, Anne, Jean moved back into the family home after his parents passed, and Robert resided there with them. (laughs) Robert made Anne very uneasy, which is understandable. Not only did her grown man of a husband still have an attachment to a childhood doll, the doll seemed to have a life of its own. Jean decided Robert should have his own room in the house and placed him in an upstairs bedroom overlooking the front street. Anne still felt uncomfortable with the doll in the house and insisted that Jean lock him in the attic. Jean did, you gotta make your wife happy, but soon loud footsteps and giggling could be heard from the attic soon after. Neighborhood kids also started saying that Robert the doll was watching them from the front window as they walked to school. Jean clearly thought this was impossible as he'd locked Robert in the attic. When Jean checked the bedroom, there Robert was, right in front of the window, watching the street. Jean Otto passed away in 1974, and the family home was sold along with Robert still in the attic. The new child in the house was a 10-year-old little girl, and she was very excited to find Robert in the attic after getting settled in. But that excitement did not last long. She soon began telling her parents that Robert was alive and he wanted to hurt her. She woke up almost nightly, screaming that Robert was moving around her room all on his own. The parents soon rehomed the doll to Myrtle Reuter, and Robert ended up being given to the museum by her in 1994. Besides just moving about and being generally creepy to children, Robert the doll has also caused many hardships to people who have visited the home and the museum, who have insulted him or whom he just didn't like for some reason. After visiting the doll, some guests have reported being in car wrecks, having broken bones, losing jobs, divorces, and other terrible things. Lore often says that if you're going to photograph Robert, you need to ask his permission first. He sees it as rude and insulting if you don't. And that can definitely ensure some misfortune in your life afterwards. He can also stop your camera from working or cause photos to come out blurry. So earlier in the story, I stated that Robert the doll was a gift from Jean Otto's grandfather. Other sources have reported that may not be true. Robert may have been a gift from a servant of the family who practiced voodoo and cursed the doll before giving it to Jean. The servant was apparently mistreated by her employers, Jean's parents, and gave the doll to Jean as a form of lifelong revenge. Robert the doll is kept enclosed in a glass case in the museum, and I've been there myself. He is truly creepy in that it feels like he just radiates energy. Like, I don't know that it's negative energy, but there's just a lot coming off that doll. Like, I felt cold around him, but the museum itself is cold because it's stone. So you can chalk that up however you want. I was polite to him, though, and I did ask if I could take photos before I did, you know, just in case. (laughs) I did not have any bad luck after visiting Robert, so it turned out all right. Well, that wraps up today's show. Please join me again in two weeks for some more Highly Spirited stories. Until then, please like, review, give me a follow on Instagram at Highly Spirited Podcast. I made a Facebook page for it too. If that's more your jam, 
just search for it. See you later, guys. Bye.